Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to, well, it's the conclusion of our series entitled Jonah. We've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this powerful book and Every single week, we've been looking and exploring some incredible principles and lessons for us. It's a, a book that we know about, heard about, read about. Uh, from the very beginning, we said, uh, for boys and girls, this is one of those classic flannel graph Bible stories. However you've heard it or read it, heard it taught and preached, Jonah is something that we're very familiar with. And so chapter by chapter, we've been exploring some of these incredible themes from the book of Jonah. So chapter one in week one, we entitled it Running from God. Now, chances are you and I at some point in our time have disobeyed, have run from God. We remember that God very specifically instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh. Instead, he boarded a boat and headed in the opposite direction to Tarshish. We relate that to today's terms as if we here in Ohio uh, were called by God to go east to New York City, but instead we turned and went west all the way to California. That's about what Jonah did as he was running from God. Remember, he was on board the boat the storm came, he was thrown overboard, and God appointed a fish to swallow him. That brought us to chapter 2 and sermon number 2. We entitled it, Praying to God. In the belly of the fish, Jonah was praying and seeking God. And what we looked at were a number of principles about prayer. Uh, we learned you can pray about anything at any time and, and anywhere knowing that God will hear and answer prayers. That brought us then to chapter 3. That was last week we looked at revival from God. And this was, this was powerful. God gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah ended up finding his way to Nineveh, preaching and proclaiming the word of God. And the people of Nineveh responded. They repented, they turned from sin, they turned to God. There was a revival amongst the people of Nineveh, and that brings us to chapter 4. We're going to finish all the verses, all the, the chapter 4 here in Jonah today. But the book of Jonah doesn't necessarily end the way we think it should end. And Jonah doesn't necessarily respond in the way we think he should respond. Can you imagine if this was you or I, and God had instructed us to go to a loved one, to a neighbor, to a co-worker, to a classmate, someone who was far from God, someone who had a hardened heart towards God, and we went and we preached and we proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, and they responded, they turned to God. Wouldn't you, in a sense, be on a little bit of a spiritual high thinking, awesome, God, thank you for your touch upon their hearts and upon their lives. Uh, their, their heart is transformed as they turned from sin and turned to God. You would think if just one person turned and surrendered to God, you would be feeling pretty good. God, thank you for using me to reach them with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if not just one, but two people gave their lives to Jesus, or three, or four, or five? 
But literally, thousands upon thousands turned from their sin, turned to God. Remember, the people began to fast. They put on sackcloth in, in their response to their sins. The king heard of it. And then he, he raised the awareness. He raised the standard and said, not just everybody, but you know, we're going to fast as well as our animals, no food or drink, and everybody, including animals, are going to wear sackcloth. We are responding to our sins. We're going to turn from our sins and turn to God. How mighty and how powerful would it be to see that kind of response? And we get to chapter 4, and, and we think Jonah's going to be excited. We think Jonah is going to be thrilled at the response. And what we look at in chapter 4 is not quite what we think we will see. So chapter 4, we're going to call this Lessons from God. These are lessons from God we're going to see in chapter 4. These really could kind of be an overarching theme or lessons from the entire book. If we were to boil the book of Jonah down into uh, some principles and lessons, we might end up with something like this. These are lessons from God that we're learning in Jonah chapter 4. So grab your copy of the Word of God. We start out with Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to find our first lesson, and that's this, God's love is unfair. That sounds a little bit interesting, unique. What do you mean? God's love is unfair. How many of you have heard someone who say, well, that's just not fair. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. That's not fair. Here's Jonah, and here's what we see about God's love being unfair. Verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, we read verse 1 without the context, and we're wondering what the this is all about. Something got him very angry. Something happened, and Jonah thought it was very wrong. Well, if you're in verse 1 of chapter 4, just back up to the very last verse of chapter 3. If you're in uh, the Bible, uh, you're opening the physical copy of God's Word. It's just one verse before. If you're on your phone or tablet, back up. Here's what chapter 10, uh, chapter 3 and verse 10 reads. This is in response to Jonah preaching. This is in response to the people responding. This is in response to the fasting and sackcloth, the people and the king. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah looked at that. He said, God, that's not fair. Don't you know what kind of people these are? We've been mentioning that all throughout this message series, people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, were a wicked and evil and sinful and, and rather sadistic group of people. We, we referenced some of the bloody things that they would do. God, don't you see what kind of people they are? And now they turned to you, and then what happened? You relented. You didn't bring on them the destruction you had threatened. That's what leads to verse 1. Because of this, because of God relenting and not bringing on them the destruction, Jonah said, God, that's just wrong, and I'm mad, and I'm angry. So verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Stop right there. 
Isn't that an interesting note? If you're paying attention and we're looking through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, only twice do we see it identified in these chapters that Jonah prayed. Chapter 2 says he prayed. Where was he then? In the belly of the fish. Chapter 4, Jonah is fed up. He's had it up to here. He's mad. He says it's wrong. He's angry, and he prays. Does that sound a little bit like you and I at times? Is that the only times when we pray? Because many times when things are going well, we tend to feel like or think that we just don't need God. Things are going all right. But when something turns bad, oh, I better turn to God. I need God's help quick. Right? It's kind of 911 prayer to God. Jonah's in the belly of the fish, and he says, I better pray. And in chapter 4, he prayed to God. He's mad. He's angry. He's upset. He's having some of those conversations with God. And verse 2 says, he prayed. The challenge is, are we only praying when tragedy strikes? Are we only praying when we're mad and when we are upset? That shouldn't be the relationship. That shouldn't be the extent of our prayer time and our prayer walk with God. That we ignore Him when things go well. We ignore Him when things are okay. But when they take a turn for the worse, oh, I better pray because I can't handle it myself. We are to seek God. Remember, we said at any time, at any place, about anything. Not just when things are bad. Not just when we're mad or frustrated or angry or upset. We can come to God at any point. And so that relationship with God, it's, it's built to have a relationship. It's not just wait for the bad times. God's Word said He's come that we would have life and have it more abundantly. Not just come to reach out when things are bad. Not just come and reach out when things are frustrated. So don't settle for a crisis-driven relationship with God. Let's make sure that we are connecting with God each and every day. Side note. Back to verse 2. It says, he prayed to the Lord. Interesting prayer. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. In other words, Jonah is finally coming clean. God, you called me to go to Nineveh. I said no. I, I got on board a ship for Tarshish and headed in the opposite direction. And this is exactly why, God, because of this. I knew it. I knew this is something that you were going to do. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, your love is just not fair. That's Jonah. Leading us and, and teaching us this first lesson or principle that God's love is unfair. It doesn't quite make sense. Jonah's saying, God, these are some really wicked, sinful people. I preached, they responded, and now you're loving them. You're caring for them. You're not going to destroy them. That's just not fair. God's love is unfair. Now, what's interesting 
Jonah's kind of in the midst of a contradiction and, and maybe sounds an awful lot like you and I at times. Jonah's basically saying, God, I really appreciate that second chance you gave me. I mean, you, the word of the Lord came in, in chapter 1 and I disregarded and disobeyed and I went the opposite direction. And in chapter 3, remember it said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I'm so thankful you gave me a second chance, God. But there is no way I am going to give a second chance to the people of Nineveh. I mean, I probably deserve a second chance, but they, they certainly don't. And by the way, God, I'm so thankful that you have forgiven me of my disobedience when you told me initially to go to Nineveh and I went in the opposite direction. Thank you for giving me a second chance. Thank you for forgiving me. But on a side note, God, there is no way, no chance, no how that I'm going to forgive the people of Nineveh. God, your love is unfair. I'm confessing, God. I went in the opposite direction because I thought this could happen. Because your love is just unfair. Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to receive God's justice and destruction, right? Don't we, we often want other people to get what they've got coming to them? It's that innate desire kind of built in, right? We think at times, you know, I, I get consequences for some of my actions, so he should or she should as well. Maybe you're driving on the road, you're on the highway, and, you know, you're only a handful of miles an hour over the speed limit, but you get passed by somebody else as if you're standing still, right? And what's your first thought? Where is that high... Highway patrolmen when you need them. They ought, to, they ought to do something about people like that. Pass me like I'm standing still. They're, they're 10, 15, 20 miles an hour over what I'm driving. I'm responsible here. I'm only a few miles over. But God, do something about them. Because they're 10 or 15 or 20 miles per hour over. Boy, it sounds an awful lot like us at times. We want, we want to be forgiven, but we're not so sure we want to forgive others. I've earned it or deserve it, but I don't know about them. God, these people of Nineveh, they're, they're so evil and sinful. How in the world could you be gracious and, and merciful and compassionate towards them? It, it almost angers and upsets him that God loves them. I just can't believe it, God. Don't you know what kind of people they are? Why don't you just destroy them? And, and now you're saying you're not going to do it. See, here's the truth. Did Nineveh really deserve God's love and mercy and compassion? They didn't deserve it. They had done nothing to earn it or deserve it. God's love is unfair. But think about Jonah. Did Jonah deserve a second chance? He hadn't necessarily done anything on his own to earn or deserve a second chance. But God's love is unfair. How about you? How about me today? Do we really deserve another chance? Do we really deserve the freedom and forgiveness to have our past life of sin washed away and be given a brand new start? 
We don't deserve it. There's nothing in us. And the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've used the scripture time and time again. The wages of our sin is death. What we earn as a result of our sin is death. So you and I, we don't earn or deserve anything. But God's love is so unfair. And Jonah says, let me, let me specify to you, God, exactly how unfair your love is. Did you catch it? There are, there's five different, um, five different descriptions about the love of God. First of all, he says, God, I know that you are a gracious God. You're a gracious God. Gracious is full of grace. The undeserved and unmerited favor of God. Did the people of Nineveh deserve to have their sins forgiven? Did Jonah deserve? Do you or I deserve we don't. It's, it's unmerited. It's undeserved. That's grace. He says, God, I know that you're a gracious God, and something like this could happen. And I'm, boy, I'm mad and upset. Secondly, he says, I know that you are a compassionate God. You show sympathy, and you show concern for everybody, particularly those in suffering and, and those who are against you. I just don't get it, God. You're gracious and you're compassionate. Then he says, you're slow to anger. God, that doesn't make sense. For you and I, we're, we're often quick to anger. Someone says something or does something, and man, it, it just kindles something inside of us. Oh, there, there's that instant frustration, sometimes a little bit more instant anger. But Jonah says, you are slow to anger. And he says, you're abounding in love. You and I hopefully have some love one to another. It, it certainly is easier to love someone who loves you back, right? It's easier to love someone who loves you versus than uh, someone who can't stand you or hate you or is incredibly wicked, evil, and sinful. Jonah says, God, you're abounding in love. Even for those people in Nineveh, I just don't get it. Your love is unfair. And finally, he says, I know that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Instead of destroying them, God, you're not going to do that because of all of these descriptions. You're turning away from the destruction because the people of Nineveh turned to you. God, I knew it. That's why I went the opposite direction in the first place. I knew this is who you are. This is the description of who you are. God, your love is not fair. I'm thankful that his love is not fair. It reaches out to you, and it reaches out to me. I can't earn it, and I certainly don't deserve it, because I have sinned, and you have sinned, and Jonah has sinned, and the people of Nineveh have sinned. None of us Earn or deserve that love and compassion and grace and mercy. But he gives it to us. He grants it to us. His love is not fair. What's fair? In your mind and in my mind, we want, if somebody breaks the law, let them be punished. As long as it's not me. Because what they did is a whole lot worse than what I did. But they need to be punished. 
That seems fair. And Jonah's saying, God, your love is not fair. This is a description of who you are. You're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and you relent from sending calamity. Incredible lesson for you and I to learn is that God's love is unfair. Here's a second lesson for you and I. God's provision is unmatched. So we head into verse 3. Jonah got done talking about who God is, talking about his love, and, and now he's going to experience in a number of object lessons how God's provision is unmatched. So verse 3, he says, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Did you catch that? I'm so mad at you, God. I'm so mad at the people of Nineveh. You're not destroying them. Since you're not going to do anything to them, I might as well die. Just get rid of me. That's how irritated, mad, and frustrated it'd be better for me to die. And here's what God says in verse 4. He replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? Is that the right response? You know, Jonah's mad, and, and maybe he's anticipating this back and forth with God, and God just simply asks him a question. It, it's that, that classic move. And he asks the question, is it right for you to be so mad and so angry about this? Verse 5, Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Are you catching this? What's Jonah doing? He's kind of plopping himself down, uh, down, camping outside the city and waiting. He is hoping to see some hellfire and brimstone. He's, He's hoping to see some lightning bolts from heaven just, you know, annihilate and destroy the people of Nineveh. He's wanting to see what's going to happen. But again, he knows the grace and mercy and compassion of God. So understand the provision of God. Check it out. Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided. You can circle, highlight, underline that. We'll, We'll come across that word a number of times. The Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. I mean, that was for his benefit. That was for his comfort, right? God provided something, and it was good, and Jonah was happy. Yes. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided... Circle, highlighter, underline that word again. He provided a worm. How many of you love worms? (laughs) Unless you're fishing, you're probably not real crazy about worms. But God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. So Jonah initially was happy. Now he's not so much. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided... Circle, highlighter, underline that word again. Provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than live. Jonah is mad. Jonah is angry. He said, God, your love is so unfair. And now he's got these object lessons about God's 
provision and how unmatched it is. The principle and the lesson is he is a God of provision, whether it's the big things in life or the little things in life. We learned about that in a time of prayer. Session 2, chapter 2, we can pray about anything. If it's important to us, it's important to God. God can and will provide from the little to the big. And here we see in chapter 4, God's providing all of these things. Very specifically, he said, God provided a plant. Incredible, this this fast-growing plant to provide shade for him. And yes, Jonah is happy. But God also provided the worm. It chewed the plant, so it withered, and now he's not so happy. He provided the wind, and he grew faint and wanted to die. He's definitely not happy. If you remember, flip back to chapter 1, towards the end, where it says that God provided a fish. Circle, highlighter, underline that. Four times in four chapters, we see this word provided or appointed. God is a God of provision. He's able to meet our needs. It's unmatched. God's able to bless. But here's the honest truth for you and I. We really prefer God to be the God of the plant. We like when God provides blessings. We like when God provides health. We like when God provides finances. We like when God restores relationships. All of those are the good things, and and we want to receive those things from God. We say, thank you, God, for your provision. Keep some more plants coming, God. But the worm, the wind, and the fish, all three of those things very specifically were provided or appointed by God. Are we able to say thank you and be appreciative for those things as well as for the plant? That's exactly what we say. We, we turn our head and we go, mm, not so sure about that. God, I want the plant. I don't want the worm. God, I want the healing. I don't want the physical illness. God, I want the blessings and provide finances. I don't want to go through difficulty. Whether God allows them or in some cases provides some of these seasons for you and I to go through, they come from God. He's the God, as the song says, it's biblical. The God of the mountains, the God of the valley. He's the same God. The God that provides the plant for shade. God that allows the worm, the wind, and the fish. God is a God of provision. All of these things come from him. The the question for you and I is very simply this. Do we only love God when he gives us what we want? He's a God of provision. It's unmatched. Think back to your life. Think back to how God has healed how God has provided, how God has encouraged, how God has maybe brought people to meet needs or God has provided peace or or some of the spiritual strength to go through difficulties. God has provided, no doubt, in the great and in the small. He's a God of provision, and that provision is unmatched. But sometimes in our life, we go through difficulties and drought as well. That doesn't mean he's not God. He's still God. Even as the psalmist would say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
You're still the shepherd, even in the valley of the shadow of death, as you're still the shepherd in, in the midst of luscious green grass and flowing streams. You're still God. And so are we only loving God? Are we only trusting God when he gives us what we want, when things are going well? In the midst of our challenges, we can still honor and trust God in the midst of everything. So we see a, a couple of powerful principles, a couple of powerful lessons here from God. Lesson number one, God's love is unfair. Lesson number two, God's provision is unmatched. Finally, lesson number three, God's priority is people. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? <laughs> Look at Jonah's response. It is, he said. Can you imagine God, God speaking to you? Is it right for you to be mad and angry that I didn't answer your prayer? And you'd cross your hands. You'd cross your hands and you'd say, that's right, God, it is. I have a right to be angry. That's, that's Jonah's response to God. Is it right? And Jonah said, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Not only is it right to be angry, but let me, let me tell you, God, how angry, how mad I am. Because your, your love is so unfair, your provision is so unmatched, you're right, I, I've got a right to be mad. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. God said, listen, Jonah, you had nothing to do with this plant, but you're super happy about it. I gave the plant. I created the plant. You're so concerned about the plant that you had nothing to do with, Jonah. But check out verse 11. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? A couple of notes. We, we touched on this earlier in our series. There's debate amongst scholars and commentators about the 120,000. Some would say that is the population of Nineveh. When he, he mentions 120,000 who are not able to understand their right from their left because it's a, a wicked, evil, sinful culture. Uh, they're against God, and, and they just don't know right from wrong. Some would say there's 120,000 in Nineveh. Other scholars or commentators believe that that number is higher. Maybe that's purely referring to the innocence of children who don't know that, but uh, the adults perhaps would, would number higher. I don't care what number you pick, 120,000, quarter of a million, half a million, a million. I've, I've seen results, and, and commentators say every single one of those numbers. How many of you know it's still a lot of people? Now, we live in Hardin County. It is a smaller county population-wise in Ohio, somewhere around 30,000 or so in Hardin County. So we're not the most populated county, but there's still a lot of people in Hardin County. Can you imagine four Hardin counties that makes up 120,000 or so? Maybe add a, a few more counties just to be safe. Isn't it worthwhile to think about, shouldn't we be concerned about at least four 
hardened counties who don't know Jesus? And Jonah, you're more upset about this plant that died than the 120,000 plus who might perish in Nineveh. How about you and I? Do we sometimes get so wrapped up in our own thoughts and our own comforts, we lose track of the people we're around and God's desiring us to reach? Yes, Alger's a small community, and the communities around here are smaller. Our county as a whole is small, but there are people who don't know Jesus. God's priority is people, that they would come to know him. God says, it's not right that you're more concerned about this plant you had nothing to do with than the people who I have created. God's priority is people, whether it's Alger, our surrounding area, county, state, nation, world. There's people right here in Alger that need Jesus, just like there's people in New York City or Los Angeles who need Jesus. There's people all around our world who need Jesus. God's priority is people. God loves them, even if you and I struggle to do so. You ever come across someone who is just really kind of hard to love? They're, they're one of those kind of, kind of prickly, kind of nasty people, and, and you just struggle. It, it might be a, a classmate, a coworker, a, a neighbor, someone in the community, and they just rub you the wrong way, and it's hard for you to love them. I'm sure we've come across somebody like that at some point. God loves that person. Just as much as the one who got you or is going to get you your favorite Christmas present. God's priority is people. God loves people. God loves that family member who doesn't know him. God loves that cashier at Walmart who doesn't know him. God loves everyone who does not know him. As we read through the book of Jonah, we see God's priority is people. So each of these last number of weeks, we've emphasized different areas of missions. BGMC, Speed the Light, Light for the Lost. We, we had a world missionary with us, Stan Sunday. Why? Trying to have that vision of people. Giving so that people might hear about Jesus and going so that people can hear about Jesus. Telling and sharing so that you and I can share that message of hope found in Jesus. God's going to use you and me to be a part of the plan. God had a, a part, a big part for Jonah to play. And God's going to use you and God's going to use me to share and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But he wants us to value who and what he values, and that's people. I also find it interesting. Not only did he mention the 120,000, he said, but also many animals. So all of you animal lovers, it does your heart good to know that he's concerned about the little kitty cats and the little puppy dogs and, and the, the, the sheep and, and the goats and, and the pigs and the chickens and the cows. I mean, God's concerned about all. But boy, he really wants these people, these individuals to come to respond and turn to him. Are we ready to reach out and share the good news of hope found in Jesus with people who don't know? Because God's priority is people. Many years ago, 
The late Henry Ford purchased a large insurance policy, the automaker Henry Ford. And at that time, the Detroit newspapers were so aware of this massive insurance policy, they plastered it across all of their newspapers. The amount of this insurance was so large, and he was such a, a prominent individual. The story was read by one of his old friends, and his friend happened to be in the insurance business. This old friend went to confront Henry Ford to see whether or not the story was true. When Ford assured him that it was indeed true, the friend then asked him why this particular insurance policy was not purchased from him. I mean, after all, he's a close personal friend, and after all, he's involved in the insurance business. Henry Ford's reply was simply this, you never asked me. How many of our friends or family members, co-workers, neighbors, classmates could say the same? You never asked. You never shared. You never said anything. You never mentioned about this Jesus who's able to cleanse and to forgive me of my sin. You never said anything about a God whose love is so incredible, so unmatched, his provision, whose love and priority is people. Are we ready, willing, and able to share that good news with others? We conclude the book of Jonah with three powerful principles, three incredible lessons about God. Lesson number one, God's love is unfair. Lesson number two, God's provision is unmatched. Lesson number three, God's priority is people. 